Last week, Pastor Brittany got us started in a new sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And we learned then that the, the Spirit is a member of the triune God, God's presence with us. If you missed it, I highly suggest that you listen to it. It is foundational for the series, and it's also a very excellent sermon, in my opinion. Today, uh, we move from talking about who the Holy Spirit is to what the Holy Spirit does. In fact, over the next four uh, four years, four weeks, we'll be examining four key elements of the Holy Spirit's work. Brittany and I find that these four elements correspond nicely to the four points of a compass. And so that will be our visual for the series. North, new life. The Spirit gives us new life in Jesus. South, sanctification. The Spirit makes us like Jesus. West, we, the community, the body of Christ. The Spirit forms and connects us to the family of Jesus and East, empowerment. The Spirit gives us gifts and empowers us to use them in the church and in the world. So between now and Pentecost, we'll explore each one of these compass points. Today we head north and we'll examine, explore the work of the Spirit in making us new. Our scripture reading for this morning to help us uh, Explore this theme is John chapter 3, the first eight verses. Hear God's word for you this morning. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, No one can enter enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Nicodemus, I love this guy. He's curious. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard that Jesus had, has changed water into wine, and he wants to meet the man that, that did that. He also heard that Jesus has uh, overthrown, temple, uh, overthrown tables in the temple, and he wants to meet the man who has the gumption to do that. And so um, he goes out to find Jesus at night. He does that because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want his uh, Pharisee friends to see that he's going to talk to this man. So he heads out under the cover of night. Rabbi, he says, talking to Jesus. 
We know you're from God because no one could perform miraculous signs you are doing if they were not from God. Jesus hears uh, Nicodemus's statement of fact, but he's not interested in getting into a conversation about himself or signs. Instead, Jesus engages the curiosity that brought Curious Nick, I'm going to call him Nick, Curious Nick out that night. I tell you the truth, Jesus says to him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. There are two different ways to translate this peculiar phrase. Born again is one option. The other is born from above. In essence, what Jesus is saying is this. No one can participate in God's realm unless they are born of God. It's analogous to life on earth. The only way to experience life on earth is to be born of a woman. Well, the same holds true of life in the kingdom of God. The only way to experience it is to be born of the Spirit, born of God. Now, the phrase born again doesn't really sound all that confusing or strange to our modern evangelical ears. Um, This phrase, born again, was a key evangelical term in the, the 1990s especially. But Curious Nick has never been to a Billy Graham crusade, and he has no clue what Jesus is talking about. Or maybe he does, and he just doesn't like it. You have to remember that Nicodemus is no child. In fact, he's put his childish ways behind him. He's a learned man. He's worked hard to become a part of the religious establishment in Jerusalem. But Jesus sees through Nick's fancy degrees, and he knows that the way forward for him is not another bullet point in his already impressive resume. What Nick needs is a transformation of the heart, rebirth, a birth from above. What, says Nick to Jesus, can a man enter his mother's womb for the second time? Surely not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answers. I tell you the truth, and this this is important. You need to grasp this. I tell you the truth, he says. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. You can't learn your way into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. Not another degree. Nothing will get you. Nothing from your past or tradition will get you into the kingdom of God. You must be born from above. The first birth is biological. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Nine months later, a woman's water breaks and a babe is born. The second birth is different of the spirit. The water breaks on the baptismal font. The pastor says, dear son, dear daughter, welcome to the cleansed and renewed family of God. If the Holy Spirit had a job description that we had access to, at the top of that description would sit this mandate, I make people new. I instigate the labor pains of new creation. I revive those who are dead in their transgressions and sins. The groundwork for this ministry of the Spirit is nicely laid in the Old Testament. In the beginning, we read that God formed Adam and Eve out of the dust of the earth. And when he had put them together, he then breathed 
his spirit upon them. He breathed upon them, and they came alive. Ruach is the important Hebrew word here. It means spirit, wind, or breath. It was the Ruach of God that hovered over the waters of chaos at creation. God put his Ruach in Adam and Eve, and the dust became alive. Later on in the book of Exodus, we find the Israelites in a tough spot. They're caught. They're caught between uh, the raging Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's raging army on the other. They are dead meat. They know this is the end. But Moses speaks to the people and he says, fear not, trust the Lord. And then he raised out his staff over the Red Sea. And we read in Exodus that all that night, the ruach, the wind blew and made a way through the sea. God's Old Testament people were born of water and the Spirit. Later in the Old Testament, God's people are exiled in Babylon. And so the Lord sets apart Ezekiel to deliver his word to them. Much that needs to be said through Ezekiel is harsh and and filled with judgment. But then uh, God gave Ezekiel a hopeful vision of the future. The hand of the Lord was upon me, we read in Ezekiel, and it set me in the middle of a valley of dry bones. Can these dry bones live, the Lord asked Ezekiel. Only you know, O sovereign Lord, Ezekiel says in response. Then the Lord says, Prophesy to the bones, Ezekiel. Say to the dead, hear the word of the Lord. And so Ezekiel begins to preach. And as he's speaking, he hears, he hears a rattling sound in the desert. He hears bones connecting to bones, tibias finding fibulas. And when his sermon to the dead was complete, Ezekiel is surrounded by an army of cadavers, but they are not yet alive. Then the Lord commanded Ezekiel to preach again. Prophesy to the breath, the Lord says. Call the four winds, the ruach, the spirit. So Ezekiel calls forth the wind and the spirit, and suddenly the valley of cadavers turns into a vast army of living men and women. New life. This is what's going to happen to my people, says the Lord to Ezekiel. I will put my spirit in them. I will bring them back to their land, and they will live again. Now fast forward to the New Testament. It's Easter morning, and Jesus, the crucified one, is lying dead in a tomb somewhere near Jerusalem. But then, while it's still dark, the Spirit of God slips into the tomb where Jesus lay and breathes new life into his crucified body. That same spirit was poured out onto the disciples on Pentecost morning, and it caused them to spill out of the upper room, fully alive, born again from above. About Christ's resurrection and ours, the Apostle Paul says this, and I just love this verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in us. New life, rebirth, 
by water and the Spirit, God makes us alive again in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God's presence sent from God to awaken us, to open our eyes, to make us new. So much of this new birth from above, this new life is invisible to our eyes. We can't examine a birth from above like we can a birth from below, but we can see its effects. And more often than not, it seems to me, this this new birth, it starts with a hunger, a curiosity, a restlessness of soul. I think of Zacchaeus climbing a tree in order to see Jesus. What causes a grown man with status to scramble up a tree? Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was short, and that, and that is, of course, a piece to the puzzle. But still, tree climbing is child's play, a curious move for a, respect, a respectable, wealthy man like Zacchaeus. What was going on in Zacchaeus' heart? He could have been at home counting his money, but instead he finds himself scrambling up a sycamore. And think of Nicodemus sneaking out of his house at night. He was risking his career to meet with Jesus. Why? Because, because something about Jesus has gripped him. There's a curiosity, a restlessness of soul. These are signs. These are the labor pains of new birth wrought by the Spirit. Another sure sign of the Spirit's work in, uh, in, in giving us new life is this sudden deep awareness of our own sinfulness and a corresponding desire for forgiveness and cleansing. When Zacchaeus came down from his perch, he came down confessing his sins. He says, he says Lord, I'm going to give it all away, and if I have stolen anything from anyone, I will pay it back and then some. That same awareness of guilt happened on Pentecost morning when Peter got up to address the crowds and told them about Jesus, his death and resurrection. Luke tells us that the crowds were cut to the heart and they cried out, what, what must we do to be saved? They were aware. They were aware of what was going on. They knew they had need of forgiveness. You know you've reached active labor in the birth from above when you're on your knees crying out, what must I do to be saved? Nearly every revival in history, it seems, begins right here with people recognizing their absolute need for, for divine intervention, their absolute need for forgiveness. And it's in this humble place on our knees that the Spirit turns our eyes off of ourselves onto Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. After Peter finishes his sermon on Pentecost morning, the crowds are cut to their heart and they're on their knees. What must we do to be saved, they ask. And Jesus says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. And so many that day came to saving faith in Jesus I also think of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, um, which we find the story found in Acts chapter 8. This man had traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem because he was curious about God, a sign of the Spirit. While there, at a great cost to himself, he purchased the scroll of Isaiah. He purchased the Bible so that he could read it himself. 
another sure sign of the Spirit. And at the same time that this was happening, a disciple named Philip was moved by the Spirit to go out onto the road. And when he reached the plate, when he reached the road that went to Ethiopia, he overheard the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah chapter 53. These are the words he was reading. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Hearing the word, Philip jumps into action. He goes to the Ethiopian man and says, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I understand? The man responds, unless someone explains it to me. And then Philip goes into this explanation of the scriptures. He talks to the Ethiopian man about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The word about Jesus was ignited by the Spirit, and minutes later, this Ethiopian man was born again in baptismal waters. New life, rebirth, this is the work of God's Holy Spirit. He stokes our curiosity. He convicts us of sin. He makes Jesus beautiful to us. He leads us down into the waters of baptism where the old self is crucified with Christ and he brings us up into new life on the other side, united with Christ Jesus, our resurrected Lord. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. No one can see, no one can experience the kingdom of God unless they are born from above of water and the Spirit. Birth is a painful and messy and absolutely beautiful thing. But perhaps the hardest part about being born, for us modern folks especially, is that we don't get a lot of choice in the matter, and we don't have a lot of control over it either. We don't get to choose our family, our ethnicity, our size, our biological sex, or the era in which we live. We participate in living, but we aren't in control of life itself. The same is true for new life. It can be very painful and messy, but it is so beautiful, and we aren't in control of it either. And that's, of course, hard for us at times. I know that some of you probably wish you could uh, jam new life somehow into your wayfaring children's arms like a vaccine or something. If there was a spiritual vaccine that could instantiate faith, we'd probably pay a lot for it. Other times we wish we could make it less embarrassing, this messy new birth. It's... It, we could make it somehow more understandable to our non-believing friends. It's not very comfortable, for instance, to be a snotty mess of tears in God's labor and delivery room. What will my friends think of me now? We ask, we wonder. The bad news is that we can't force or control new birth from above. The wind blows where it pleases, Jesus says. The good news is that God is the one in control. And God is good. I've come to see that one of the major vocations of the church, the call of the community that has been born from above, 
is to see ourselves and function in the world a little bit like spiritual midwives. We're not here to conquer. We're here to tend to, to come alongside, to nurture, to encourage. Midwives don't forth, force birth. Rather, they come alongside those who are experiencing it. They keep an eye on the woman in labor and an eye on the baby in the womb. They tend to both. I wonder what it would look like for you to gently and faithfully come alongside of your family and friends, your neighbors who don't as yet know Jesus. How could you fan their curiosity into flame? When they experience guilt and shame, how could you get down beside them and gently share as best you can the good news of forgiveness in Christ? There's plenty of work for us to do as midwives because the Spirit continues to hover over the chaos of this earth. He continues to go to work, touching the hearts of men and women, bringing people into God's kingdom. Recently, I read Nicole Cliff's testimony in Christianity Today. It's entitled, How God Messed Up My Happy Atheist Life. And I hope that you uh, spent, uh, uh, Google search the article and read it. It's, uh, it's very good. Nicole Cliff grew up in Kingston, Ontario, and then she went to Harvard on a full scholarship for university. Upon graduation, she co-founded a popular feminist blog called The Toast. Prior to finding new life in Christ, Nicole lived, in her words, a very pleasant adult life as a uh, firm atheist. Two things changed that. First, she experienced a, a, a personal crisis. One of her children became sick, and suddenly she found herself praying, talking to an empty room. It was embarrassing, she said. I didn't know why I said it or to whom. I brushed it off. I moved on. The situation revolved itself, resolved itself. I didn't think about it again. Not long after this, Nicole was surfing the web and read Dallas Willard's obituary written by a pastor named John Ortberg. John Ortberg is a famous pastor, and Dallas Willard was a famous a spiritual or Christian thinker and philosopher. While reading this article by John Ortberg, Nicole began to cry, and she couldn't stop. She cried the rest of the day. This was very unsettling to her, as she was not someone who did a lot of crying. But given her strong reaction to the piece, Nicole decided to buy a Dallas Willard book, and she started reading it. Then she started crying some more. You see the, the curiosity, the restlessness being, uh, these are signs that the Spirit is at work. Then she brought a different book by Christian author Lewis Smedes and More Tears. And this is what she says. At this point, I reached a crossroads. I sat myself down and said, Okay, Nicole, you have two choices. Option one, you can stop reading books about Jesus. Option two, you could think with greater intention about why you are, you are overwhelmed by your emotions. It occurred to me that if option two proved fruitless, I could always return to option one. So I emailed a friend who is a Christian, and I asked if we could talk about Jesus. And now we reach the part of the story that gets a bit hand-wavy, she says. About an hour before our call, I knew I believed in God. Worse, I was a Christian. So when my friend called, I told her awkwardly that I wanted to have a relationship with God, and we prayed and giggled a bit and cried a bit 
and then she sent me a stack of Henry Nouwen books, and here we are today. When people ask Nicole what happened, what changed, she responds by saying that she had been cracked open to the divine. Something happened to her, in her. Books about Jesus that she would have scoffed at before suddenly became latent with power. I love her conclusion. No one could have in a billion years of their gripping testimony or by showing me a radiant life of good deeds or through song or even the most beautiful of books brought me to Christ. I had to be tapped on the shoulder. I had to be taken to a place where books about God were something I could experience without distance. And there it is. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's cracking us open to the divine, enabling us to see the kingdom of God without distance. He puts those glasses on, allows us to see into God's realm, to see the beauty of Christ. I don't know where you are today or, or even who all is, is watching this service, but I do know that God's Holy Spirit still continues to work. Perhaps you feel a softening in yourself today or a, or a restlessness that just will not go away. Maybe you find yourself crying or praying in empty rooms and you don't know what's happening and you don't know what to do. Or maybe some of you are already on your knees, longing to be made new. Welcome the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. His desire is not to break you, but to build you back up in Christ, to make you fully alive, filled with joy, hope. Brittany and I would love, love to journey alongside of you if you would like to have someone to speak to about, about whatever it is you're experiencing, please, please reach out. Now to conclude, let's uh, go back to Curious Nick. We don't know if Nicodemus found what he was looking for the night he went out to see Jesus. We know that he received more than he was expecting, however. For that night, Jesus took him on a journey to the heart of faith. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus next in the story, but we do know that he was there at the end, that he participated in Jesus' burial. He was there when Jesus was lifted high on the cross, and he was there to take Jesus' body down when it was finished. And with nearly 100 pounds of aloes and spices, Nicodemus gave Jesus a burial fit for a king. Jesus had become beautiful to him, a sure sign of the Spirit's work in his life. Amen.